All right. First Timothy chapter 1. Can you believe it? We're going to go through, we touched on 6 a little bit, so we'll start off with 6. I'll probably back up a couple verses beyond that too to get some context there. We'll go through 7, 8, 9, 10, and 11, believe it or not. I'm going to cover some verses today. Uh, I thought about breaking this into two messages, but I thought, I want to cover more verses, and I'm going to go through 11, and we're going to get done on time, because thankfully Jonathan's putting that 10-minute thing up, and that's helping me. But John can sh- uh, John, Jonathan can show me the law, but he can't, you know, make me obey it, and that's kind of what our teaching is. First uh, <laughs> uh, Timothy chapter 1. Verse 3, Paul says, and the purpose he left Timothy at Ephesus was because there was all sorts of false teaching going on there. And this message will actually see what some of that false teaching was. Uh, Verse 3, as I urged you upon my departure for Macedonia, remain on at Ephesus so that you may instruct certain men not to teach strange doctrines, not to pay attention to myths and endless genealogies, which give rise to mere speculation Say they were into mythologies, they were into the endless genealogies, speculations, rather than furthering the administration of God, which is by faith. And right there, there's a good clue right away that they're, the way they're operating is not by faith, okay? They're all over the place, you know? And then he says in verse 5, but the goal of our instruction, which we spent almost the entire message on last week, I'll let you know this is one of my life verses, and I encourage you to just hear that message if you haven't heard it yet. I had a sister come to me after service Sunday, just all excited about that message and messaged it different people in different ways. And she said she gave it to another sister that can't always be here because she lives a ways away. And she said that sister was so grateful and that she was in tears in hearing it. I'm like, wow, it's amazing how different messages affect different people in different ways. But I'm glad it affected them in such a way because this message affects, verse 5 affects me in such a way. But the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart. That's what God wants us to be, walking in love from a pure heart and a good conscience. He wants us to live with a good conscience and a sincere faith. Amen. Praise God, he wants our faith to be not fake, but real and sincere, and our walks to be sincere with Jesus. And those three elements make up such, you know, such a beautiful aspect of what it means to be a Christian and follow Jesus, and it's so precious. But this is in contrast to what the false teachers are doing. For we read in verse 6, for some men strain from these things. Strain from what? Love from a pure heart, good conscience, sincere faith. These are the men who are teaching the false doctrines that Timothy's to correct in verse 3. For some men straying from these things have turned aside to fruitless discussion. And we talked last week about what happens when you are fruitless in your Christian walk. Jesus talked about the vine that doesn't bear fruit is what? Cut off, thrown in the fire, and burned. Uh, And then in verse 7, so I wanted to read the context so you understand what's happening here. This is a new verse for us now. Wanted to be teachers of the law. They want to be teachers of the law. That's the law of Moses. The Pentateuch, or Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament. They want to be teachers of the law, even though they do not understand either what they are saying or the matters about which they make confident assertions. And by the way, I mentioned as we go through this book, this is a discipleship book. Paul's discipling Timothy on the job. Here's what you ought to be doing at the church of Ephesus. He'd been discipling for some years. And it's a discipleship book for us. I thought, what a great book to go through. I'd been praying about what book to go through on Wednesdays a lot for discipleship. And it just hit me like a ton of bricks. This book is just so awesome because it's not just for us, you know, and it's for you to be encouraged on how to be a better Christian, how to walk in the truth. But we're supposed to pass these truths on to others. Amen? 
Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.2, 2, the truth that I've shared with you, you share with others, that they, other good men, that they may share with others. So we're supposed to pass this along, amen? And one thing a disciple does when we grow, and as you're growing, in your leadership role, and all of us are leaders to one degree or another. You're a leader by way of, you're supposed to lead by example at the very least, amen? And one of the things we do as Christian leaders is we make sure that we model Jesus, and one of the emphases here is to guard the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and watch out for false doctrine and take it seriously. I sat down with a young pastor here in Simi Valley, and I was a young pastor as well at the time, and he was a, having a startup church. I think it was a vineyard. It was a vineyard here in Simi Valley, and we sat down. He wanted to have a lunch with me. We ate lunch together, and he proceeded to tell me what he wanted to do and how uh, we, when he started church in Simi that he wanted to Christianize the entire world, and the world would become, they would all become Christians. And I shared with him, I said, well, well, you know, we were having a great time up to that point, you know, trying to see where he's at. And I said, you know, Jesus said the way is broad and the way is narrow. I can't remember everything I shared with him, but the way to life is, is narrow. I can't remember all the verses I shared with him, but those types of verses, and that's not what the scriptures teach. And, and I said, if you're looking for ministry guidance, I go, have you read First and Second Timothy and Titus? Those are the pastoral epistles. They tell us how to pastor how to lead churches, and so forth. He was unfamiliar with the pastoral epistles. And my heart was broken, and the meeting didn't end good, you know. I got in a headlock. No, I didn't. <laughs> I only do that with my wife. Just kidding. Just kidding. I said that recently. I'm like, why did I say that? I say silly things, but hey. Uh, you know, he, he, it was really sad. It was tragic, actually, because I knew he'd be leading people. And he was paying attention to his own agenda and what he wanted rather than what the scriptures say. Timothy gives us guidance. And the things, and, the re, and I emphasized to him sound doctrine. And I pointed out that first and second Timothy and Titus, the emphasis, the overriding emphasis in these, these pastoral epistles is watching your life and your teaching. Watching your behavior and your teaching. We need to take these things seriously, amen? Now, some have gone astray from these things, he says right? They want to be teachers. Notice what he says, even though they do not understand either what they are saying or the matters about which they make confident assertions. So they want to teach the law, but they don't even understand what they're saying. They don't understand what the law is about. And this is really, really sad because how often do we make confident assertions about things we don't understand about? You know, today, I was pretty much ready to go. I'm trying to get here on time so I could be here for the worship, which we try to do, right? And I'm like, man, I want to be here for worship and everything. And my day's been crazy, but I'm going to be able to do it. And got my message done and got it printed out. And it's only 17 pages today, but I'll get through it. We'll be, we'll be good. And I was like, man, boom. And I got here and just had a great had time with everybody. But I'll tell you what, uh, when I, was, I went into the bathroom after I was changed and everything, and there was my wife sniffing some white stuff, you know, and I'm like, and I was like, whoa, what are you doing? You know, now my wife was an N-A, C-A, and A-A, you know, so uh, I was shocked because my wife, I know, if you know my wife, she's not going to be snorting white cocaine, but I go, what are you doing? She goes, I knew you were going to ask, and she's sniffing this hydrogen peroxide of white vapor into her nose. I'd never seen her do that before, and she goes, oh, the doctor gave it to me. She has an incredible pray for her. And Father, we do pray for Lisa right now that you'd heal her and that you'd just take that thing away from her so she'd be better. Your son's name we pray, amen. You know, uh, 
<laughs> and she said, he gave it to me for my head cold. And she's, got a, she's like, I mean, wiped out. She didn't get wasted because of it. She looks wasted before she took it, okay, because just, her head cold is so thick. And I gave her some Manuka honey earlier today. I said, I've been telling you to take this Manuka. But it's good if you got a bacterial infection, but it doesn't help with the virus. I'm not sure what she has exactly. Uh, but what if I came here and I said, my wife's snorting white stuff, you know, and I'm, I can't believe she's doing this. I would never do that, by the way. That's not how it <laughs> that if she was. But it would be like ridiculous because I wouldn't have understood the whole picture. Well, guess what? Uh, she was just taking some, something that's supposed to be medicinal. I'm not sure how effective it is. I'll see when I get back. Hopefully she's fine. <laughs> not, ooh, you know. But anyway, uh, when you're making confident assertions about the Word of God, that's way more serious because we're talking about eternal life, right? We're talking about who's saved, ends up being saved, and who's not saved in the end. So this is very, very serious. And we have to watch out with various heresies regarding the law of Moses. There's, and regarding just Christian moral law. And there's heresies. And it's interesting because the, the truth is right down the middle, straight and narrow, man. One heresy, they just reject any kind of moral law at all. And they're called antinomians, an ancient heresy. Anti, which is from, means against, and from nomos, which is the Greek word for, the, for law. These are people that are against the law, you know. We don't have to obey any moral laws. We're saved by grace. We can do whatever we want. You know, once we're saved, we're always saved. We can just live however we want, and we're fine. That's antinomianism, and that's a heresy. Uh, some believe that Paul is dealing with antinomianism in these, first, in these verses about the misuse of the law. I can't get there. I'm like, mm, doesn't look like he's dealing with antinomianism there. The, the Gnostics, keep in mind, had various forms. They were the anti, those were those that were legalists, ascetics, which said you couldn't even marry and have children because you'd be bringing fleshly beings in the, in the world and the God that created the fleshly world and the physical universe is evil. So they were ascetics and they were very legalistic. But then you also had your libertines, your antinomians who just rejected the laws of the Bible and God's word because guess what? He's an evil God. He created the universe, you know, and we don't want to obey him uh, and so forth. So you had two extremes. Today you have two extremes. You have those that teach, you know, once you've received Jesus in your heart, you can just do whatever you want, live however you want. And millions of people believe that. And Paul says, do not be deceived. He talked about those who live these wicked lives will not inherit the kingdom of God. This is serious stuff, right? On the other hand, when there's heresies, the pendulum sometimes will swing all the way the other direction. And that's what hap has happened. Now you have a lot of people reacting to that and saying, no, we have to keep the law of Moses. We have to keep the Old Testament laws. You know, we can't eat certain foods. We can't eat shrimp. We can't eat crawdads. We, not that you want to eat crawdads. They're actually pretty good. You can't eat pork, no bacon, you know. You have to worship on the Sabbath, you know, on and on and on. And they say, you've got to keep these laws. It's all over. Uh, Seventh-day Adventists say you have to keep the Sabbath, right? Or you'll have the mark of the beast. I mean, it's really, no Bible verse says that, but they say that. Uh, the Hebrew Roots Movement. It's huge. 119, 119 Ministries is a huge Hebrew Roots uh, Movement group, one of the many groups out there. They have an incredible social media internet presence. They're all over the place. And they're conning people into believing that they have to, you know, they can't eat certain foods and, they, you know, have to worship on Saturday and all these different things. And they make confident assertions, like Paul says here, confident assertions about the law. 
Now, the scriptures warn we have to be careful because these teachers, they want to be teachers. So they're teaching, but Paul's saying they want to be teachers. So he's really kind of saying they're not really even teachers of the law, even though they do not understand either what they are saying or the matters about which they make confident assertions. Uh, James 3.1 says, Let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, knowing that as such we will incur a stricter judgment. So he's saying not many. I mean, there has to be some, right? You know, you can't just say, I just want to be, I want to be a teacher. You got to make sure you're called by God, you know? Is there a burning in your heart to show people God's truth and it, it, as God led you? It, 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 we're supposed to teach in different levels, you know? We need all kinds of different teachers and God gives the gift of teaching, but don't just, you, know, you got to pray and seek the Lord and make sure it's His will and make sure if you're teaching the Word of God that you have a handle on what His Word says, you know? Don't just don't rush headlong where angels would, would dare to tread. So uh, I shared with you some time ago a story about a true story uh, as it was received by me by a woman in Siberia who was on a train, you know, years ago, 100 years ago or so. I don't remember how long exactly, but quite a while ago. And she was on a train in Siberia, and she was, it was freezing cold weather. And she told the conductor that what, where she's getting off, she wasn't used to riding the trains. She's pregnant, had two toddlers with her. And a nice gentleman came up to her and said, hey, you know what? That conductor, you know, he may not tell you the right place and the right time because he's busy. You might forget, hey, I know this. I take this train all the time. I'll tell you when to get off. Well, eventually the train made a specific stop, and he said, oh, this is your stop, and she got off with her kids. And an hour later, the train goes to another stop. Conductor comes back. Where's the woman that was sitting here? And the man says, oh, don't worry. I told her to get off an hour earlier, you know, to, so your job would be easier, you know, so you wouldn't have to worry about it. He's like, what are you talking about? He goes, the hour early, we stopped an hour early. He goes, that was to get water for the engine. And they backed the train up all the way back and found her and the toddlers frozen to death. And that's why you got to be really careful about giving people advice that could be wrong. And when it comes to God's word, the Bible, we have to be very careful we don't instruct people in a way that could be fatal. And it's even more serious, again, with the word of God because we're talking about eternal life, not physical life. Amen? Blessed are physical lives too, but we're talking about eternal life. So this is very, very serious stuff that we, we get this right. Go ahead and look at verse 8. But we know that the law is good. The law is what? Good if one what? Uses it lawfully. Meaning you can use the law and twist it where it's no longer really the law. And it can be harmful. But it's good if you use it lawfully. Okay, and what's happened is many people are not using the, Bible, the law lawfully, okay? What they're doing is they're taking the old covenant, and as Christians, we're not under the old covenant law anymore. We're under the new covenant law, but they take the old covenant teachings and laws, and they try to smuggle them into the new covenant and say, well, we're really supposed to keep the old covenant and the new covenant. And what happens is young, beautiful Christians that love Jesus that are not really aware that are just still on just milk and not able to see the difference maybe right away between the Old Covenant and New Covenant, all of a sudden they start trying to keep the Old Covenant and they're trying to keep the laws of the Old Testament saying, man, I, I, I can't eat, you know, again, shrimp, bacon. I have to worship on Saturday. And there's 613 laws uh, in, in, in the Torah, according to the rabbinical count anyway, you know, as they parse them out. 
613 of them. And before you know it, these people are dazed and confused. They're under the law. They're under a yoke, as it's called in the Bible, that couldn't be uh, uh, fulfilled. And they're trying to fulfill it. And, and now these bubbly, bubbly, enthusiastic Christians, all of a sudden they lose their joy and they become legalistic and they become, look like they're sucking on a lemons oftentimes or wet, you know, blankets been thrown over there. They're judging other people because they're, they're eating foods that they think they shouldn't eat and they're not worshiping on, on Saturday but on Sunday and they become very, very legalistic often and judgmental and they get involved in the minutia of things and they forsake, verse 5, right? Love from a pure heart. Good conscience, sincere faith, because they start getting all these things that are contrary to the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, he says there's a right use of the law. What's the right use of the law? Look at verses 8 and 9. But we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully, realizing the fact that, realizing the fact that the law is not made for a righteous person, but for those who are what? Lawless. Wait, the Old Testament law is talking about the law of Moses. Not talking about the law of Christ, not talking about the New Testament law of Christ, about the Old Testament law of Moses. It says, it's made for, it's, it's not made for what? A righteous. a righteous person. The Bible says we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, amen. The Bible says the righteous shall live by faith, amen. amen. It's not for us, but who's it for? But for those who are what? Lawless and rebellious, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane for those who kill their fathers or mothers, for murderers and immoral men and homosexuals and kidnappers and liars and perjurers and whatever else is contrary to sound teaching. So if I'm talking to somebody, they have to keep the law, think they have to keep the law of Moses. This is a good place to go. Say, so, you know, it's not given for the righteous. It's not for you unless, of course, you are a kidnapper. If you're an apparent killer, if you're sexually immoral, you know, kidnapper, a perjurer, if you're those things, yeah, yeah, it's for you because it's meant to convict you that you're damned by God and doomed. You need to repent and come to Jesus and be saved. Then once you get saved and you're made righteous by the blood of Jesus, then you aren't under it anymore, okay? But the lost are already under the law, so it's for the lost, the wicked, to show them their sin and their need for grace. But the law, law of Moses was never intended to be kept eternally. Now, it's interesting because a lot of people don't realize the purpose of the law, you know. One of the big moments, the considered an immortal moment, you know, I don't like to use that terminology of moments like this, but in golf, it's like an immortal moment because golf had just been, you know, invented and a Scotsman was showing you, President Ulysses Grant, uh, how to, what golf was. It was a new sport, big deal. It really did catch on, didn't it, you know. And, uh, you know, I just read a story about a guy who was watching golf and for 20 minutes he was watching and, and then he realized the screen was stuck. And he goes, oh, okay. You know, just kidding for you guys like golf, you know. You got to think about that one. <laughs> it's just such a slow sport, right? I can see people getting into it, but uh, I like miniature golf. It's probably because I was just no good at it. I tried it twice or something. Anyway, uh, so... Me, the screen was stuck. In other words, the guy was sitting there like this for so long, he just thought he was going to go get it. Okay. <laughs> anyway, it's interesting. But Ulysses, uh, Ulysses S. Grant, he was learning golf or just watching the guy. The guy's first swing, he sticks the ball on the tee, swings with all his might, misses, digs a big divot into the ground, dirt everywhere, including in the president's beard, you know. And 
Grant watched him swing six times, and he still didn't hit it. He said, <laughs> Grant's words are pretty funny. He said, you know, I've learned that golf, after that sixth swing, he goes, I learned that golf takes quite a bit of exercise, but I'm still not sure what the purpose of the ball is, you know? <laughs> Uh, and that's the, that's the way it is with people in the law. They're like, they don't realize what the law was for. What's the purpose of the law? If somebody asked you today, if they asked you the question, you know, what's the purpose of the law of Moses? You know, would you be able to give them the answer, you know? And Paul's telling us that it's not given for the righteous, but for the what? The wicked, the lawless. Thus saith the scripture. So right there is one of the answers, right? It's given for the lawless. And uh, has a purpose. Keep in mind the law, uh, Abraham wasn't given the law of Moses, right? He was given the law of grace through faith, right? Salvation by faith, amen? amen? And that law was never rescinded. The law of Moses was brought in over 400 years later and given to the Jews to make them distinct from other peoples. But it's interesting when you think of what the purpose of the law was. You've got to think this through a little bit. It's pretty easy to think through. When our first parents sinned, the first humans, Adam and Eve, when they rebelled against God. Prior to rebelling against God, they had a relationship with God of, of great intimacy, great beauty, great love, you know, a, where they wouldn't be fried in God's glory. But guess what? When they sinned, it caused a great chasm between them and God. And their utter sinfulness and the deformity of the human being, our depravity, separated them from God. Now, God didn't cease being the thrice holy God and the all-loving God, but because of his utter holiness and our utter sinfulness, it created a chasm between us. And man could not be in the holy presence of God and live because of his wickedness and God's holiness, right? So God didn't wipe mankind out. He gave man opportunity to come into his presence. And when he gave the law of Moses, it was a legal way of showing man God's holiness and the laws reflect how righteous and pure and holy he is, right? And man's sinfulness and showing that that gap has to be bridged. Hence the sacrifices that were included, that there would have to be a payment that was going to be made if man was going to be able to be in God's presence again forever. He created the temple. Remember the Ark of the Covenant? Remember the Holy of Holies? Remember how it was separated with a, 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 like about a four-inch veil or so? They couldn't go into his presence. Do you understand that? They couldn't because of our lack of holiness. But God gave the law to show them, this is who I am. And if you could keep this perfectly, yeah, you can come to my presence, but nobody could. But also within that law, he gave all these prophecies about how that wall that separated the two would actually be overcome through God's grace and through the Messiah. So it's really interesting when you think about it this way, because this is what's going on here. In fact, listen, and you can go to any of these texts. Some we will go to for sure. But Romans 3, 19, listen to what it says. Paul writes, Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced. The whole world held accountable to God. So the law would silence every mouth, every single mouth. Because the Bible says there's none righteous, no, not one. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's what the scriptures say. Romans 3.20, the next verse says, Therefore no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. 
So understand the purpose of the law there, you guys. Are you made righteous by the works of the law? Yes or no? No. no. Come on, brothers and sisters. If you're not made righteous by the, 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 the law, what does the law do? It says it makes us conscious of our what? It makes us conscious of our sin. So one way if someone says, hey, you're talking to someone, you're talking to someone in the 119 ministries, which is a false, diabolical ministry, really, and they say you've got to keep the law of Moses to be right with God, man. If you're not keeping the law, man, Hebrew roots, other Hebrew roots people. And they, you, you can let them know, well, do you know what the purpose of the law was? According to Paul, right here in 1 Timothy chapter 1, it's very clear that it was not made for the righteous. It wasn't given for the, to the righteous. But to, the, but to murderers, to kidnappers, to the unlawful. And here we see it was to make us what? Conscious of our sin so every mouth would be shut. Okay? Every mouth would be shut. In other words, when someone says, well, I think I'll get into heaven because I'm a good person. Well, boom, the law shuts their mouth. Amen? Well, my neighbor's not as, I mean, more sinful than I am. Surely God will accept me. Boom, the law shuts their mouth. You know? Well, you know, I've done good things quite often, and da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. No, the law shuts their mouth. Oh, I've kept the seven sacraments of the Catholic Church. The law shuts their mouth. In fact, in Romans chapter 1, Paul goes to talk about in Romans 1 and 2 how through general revelation, which is still supernatural revelation of God's creation, it's God's supernatural created the universe, and through giving human beings a conscience that even the Gentiles are without excuse. It's pretty heavy. And then in chapter 2, the first few verses, he says the Jews do the same things they condemn the Gentiles over, and they're condemned by the law. Every mouth would be shut. So guess what the law, the purpose of the law, was given to the wicked, to sinners, which all humans are, to reveal their sin, to make them conscious of their sin, so they realized they needed the Savior, amen? To realize that they weren't going to get in by the works of the law, that none would be justified by the works of the law. It, it, the law over and over again says, shut up, shut up, shut up. Okay? I don't tell people, I don't use that language, shut up. But guess what? God's word says every mouth will be shut for us sinners. And God tells us to be quiet. As far as if we're going to tout our own badge of righteousness to enter into his presence, you're not going to get there. Every mouth will be shut. There will be no excuses. In fact, well, I've kept so many of these laws. Listen to what James 2.10 says. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. Whew. Wow. Just one point, you become a lawbreaker. Now, the 511 so-called ministries, or I should say 511. <laughs> Sorry, Chad, Ephesians 511. The 911 <laughs> uh, ministries, 19, or you're talking about 119 ministry. I don't know, I got thrown off there. 119, it's actually from Psalm 119, which is all about you know, the holiness of God's law. That David, you know, the Psalm of David, it's a beautiful psalm. It's just, they're twisting it. Uh, psalm 119 ministries, uh, they'll insist you cannot eat shellfish. You, can, you cannot eat pork. You have to worship on Saturday. But guess what they'll do? They will mix their fabrics together in their clothes. They'll get clothes mixed polyester or cotton and whatever. And Leviticus 19.19 19, forbids the mixing of your fabrics together. Oh, and you know what? Leviticus 19.27 says you're not supposed to cut your hair. They'll cut their hair. A lot of them are clean shaven. Wait, 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 wait a minute. They pick and choose. None of them can keep the whole law. And the ones they can claim to keep, they don't keep perfectly. It's just hypocrisy. And Paul points that out, that none of them are continuing all the things of the law. And uh, it's pretty amazing 
Therefore, by the works of the law, not any flesh will be justified before him. 3.20. Galatians 2.16. Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith of Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified. You know? So these... It's a, it's a, it's a huge uh, danger. So salvation doesn't come through the law. And God's given us his law. He's saying, hey, I'm showing you my standards. This is a reflection of who I am. And you can't make it through the law. But God is also saying to us that I'm a good God. I'm holy, holy, holy. But guess what? He says that he is love. And he says, I'm making the way into my presence still. By giving you my son. By having the sacrifice paid by the son of God. That paid for our sins. It's just mind-boggling. That's why Paul goes on to say in Romans chapter 3.23, says all of sin comes short of the glory of God. But Romans 6.23, he says, what does he say? The wages of sin is what? Death. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen? So we can have eternal life through Christ. Right? So the purpose of the law is to show us that we're sinners, show us that we're doomed, show us that we're, we're dead meat, show us that we're damned, show us that we need Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen? And it's to also what? Show sinners, not just us, but we can use the law to show others that you need Jesus. Because there's a lot of lies in this world, right? The, a lot of these things that are mentioned on this list, right? Kidnappers and, you know, uh, those who kill their fathers and mothers and homosexuals, it says, and so forth. It's just amazing because some of these things are made acceptable in the world, you know? And Hollywood is famous, and they're not known for their morality at all, right? But they're famous for telling stories and spinning lies, and uh, they'll have movies out like Brokeback Mountain, where two cowboys end up struggling together in the cold of night, and it goes pretty bad, but they make it look like it's something good and there's romance that starts. And people watched that movie and they came out of it. I remember driving down the road one time, listening to Larry Elder, a conservative news pundit, saying, yeah, after watching that movie, you know, uh, I'm changing my views on gay marriage and so forth. I'm like, Larry, are you serious? I think it was after discussion with his mom that saw the movie and she was open more and then he was open more. I forget exactly the words, but I was like heartbroken. But guess what? God's law is given to expose wickedness for what it is. Amen? And it breaks through the lies of the world, the lies of Hollywood and so forth. So it's interesting. Uh, the law is very, very important, therefore. Paul says, in a, well, by the way, did you notice he warns about their, their speculations, right? Their genealogies and mythologies and everything. It's interesting and just the minutiae that people get into when they get away from love from a pure heart, a good conscience, and sincere faith. In fact, Titus 3.9 says, but avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless, because these folks would come into their churches saying, you got to keep the law. you got to keep the law of Moses. And it's interesting that 9-11, so-called ministries, they're on the blood moons minutiae, they're all into uh, lunar cycles of a particular festival. You've got to keep this festival, and you've got to know the exact time of the lunar cycle. And it's like they get all into this stuff, which we're not called to be under, right, as Christians. And where's the evangelism? Where's their, where's their fellowships? 
Where's their missions? You know, where's their churches? It's basically an internet movement. A lot of these people don't even go to a church. They're disrupting other churches. It's quite interesting. Very, very sad, actually. The Hebrew Roots Movement, 119 Ministries is just one part of the Hebrew Roots Movement, but it's a big part. So what do we say to those who say, well, you got to keep the law of Moses? One of the things I say right away is, do you keep all 613 laws? And invariably, they say no. Some of them won't, aren't doing circumcision. They're certainly not sacrificing animals according to the temple law because there's no temple, right? Amen. They're not keeping a lot of them. They say, well, how do you know what's to keep and what not to keep? Oh, well, we find guidance in the New Testament. I go, now we're talking. Let's look at the New Testament. Let's look at what God's word says about this. Okay, that's where you go. And you can go to the Old Testament. For instance, in Jeremiah, when God made a, a, God made a covenant with them at Mount Sinai. Remember Mount Sinai? Moses goes up the mountain. He gets the law from the Lord. He gets the Ten Commandments. And he gets, you know, ends up getting the whole law eventually. He got 613 laws. Well, guess what? When he goes up there, that was a covenant between him and his wife Israel. He used a metaphor, like his wife, right? Yet, in, yet he says in Deuteronomy in the law, chapter 24, that if you go off into other God, if, if a man goes off to other women, or a woman goes off to other men, it says, and she pollutes herself with other men, right? The man could give her right into divorcement, you know? And uh, if he divorces her, and then he marries another woman, and then after he's married another woman, you know, that ends up, you know, terminated. And then he brings her back after that. It will, it, it, it's unlawful, it says. Well, guess what God says? He quotes that law against his own relationship with his own people in Jeremiah 3. He says, if a woman, if a man divorces his wife because she goes off, he goes into that. And he says, but that's what you've done to me. You went after all these other gods, right? And, and he says when, in Jeremiah and Ezekiel and so forth that you come back in pretense just because you want something from me. That's why you're back. And he says in Jeremiah chapter 3, he gave her, their, law, their relationship was based on the law of, at Mount Sinai, right? He says he gave her a writing of divorcement, okay? He says, I, I give you a writing of divorcement. And then he says, no longer shall you say, the Ark of the Covenant, the Ark of the Covenant. Well, the covenant was the law. Remember, according to chapter 9, verses 1 through 4 of Hebrews, it talks about the three things that are in the Ark of the Covenant. One of the things it mentions is the, ten, is the two tablets of the Ten Commandments. You'll no longer say that because you'll no longer be focused on that. What, why would they not be focused on that? Because in Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 31, remember that? He says, I'm going to make a new covenant with you. A new covenant. Not like the covenant I made with your fathers at Mount Sinai when I was a husband to you. Wow. He says, I'll make a new covenant, not like the covenant I made with your fathers at Sinai when I was a husband to you. Wow, because he divorced them of that covenant. Was he done with Israel? Absolutely not. He has a plan for Israel. But the plan was to bring them to Messiah, amen? They couldn't be saved under the old covenant. And you know, that new covenant, Jesus inaugurated the new covenant. Remember at the Last Supper? He says, this is a cup of the new covenant. It represented his blood. He was going to die to pay for their sins because their sins would condemn them. Under the Mosaic law, they were doomed. It's given for the wicked to bring them to Jesus. Amen? So guess what, guys? The new covenant comes. And two different times in the book of Hebrews alone, the new covenant is referenced, is quoted or, uh, in Hebrews chapter 8 and Hebrews chapter 10, letting us know that as Christians, we're not under the old covenant. We're under the new covenant. Go to Hebrews chapter 8. Let's turn to that passage. 
Hebrews chapter 8, a little bit to your right. And uh, it's fascinating what's said here. Now, look at verses 7 through 9. For if the first covenant, that's the covenant at Mount Sinai, that's the law that these guys that were making these confident assertions that were coming into the churches in, um, in, at Ephesus were teaching f- falsely. He says, for if the first covenant, the law of Moses, had been faultless, there would not have been, or there would have been no occasion sought for a second. Okay. For finding fault with them, so the fault's not really with the law. The law is perfectly righteous, but it can't save. Right? For finding fault with them, he says, Behold, days are coming, says the Lord. He's quoting Jeremiah 31, 31. Behold, days are coming, says the Lord, when I will effect a what? A new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Look at verse 9. Not like the covenant which I made with their fathers on the day I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, for they did not continue in my covenant, and I did not care for them, says the Lord. So what happened to the old covenant? Well, go to verse 13. When he said a new covenant, he has made the first what? Obsolete. obsolete ineffective. Okay? He made the first covenant obsolete or ineffective. He has made the first obsolete, but what, when it, whatever is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to disappear. Many believe the book of Hebrews was written before the temple was destroyed, and not long after this was written, <laughs> even the temple was destroyed. That's quite, quite clear. In fact, if you go to chapter 9, verse 1, now even the first covenant had regulations, the first covenant of divine worship and earthly sanctuary. Look at verse 4. Having a golden altar of incense and the ark of the covenant covered by, on all sides with gold in which was the golden jar holding the manna and Aaron's rod which budded and the what? The tables of the covenant. Those two tablets. The tables of the covenant. Passed away. Obsolete now. So even when our Seventh-day Adventist friends say, well, you've still got to keep the Ten Commandments, that's still in effect. Really? Did you just read Romans 8 or Hebrews 8 with me? Did you read just Hebrews 9, 1 through 4 with me? Or 1 and 4 with me? The Old Covenant that he's talking about includes the Ten Commandments. Are you with me? Amen. Now, you know me. I'm no antinomian, right? <laughs> I don't teach. We preach holiness, man. But guess what? Well, you're saying we don't have to keep the Ten Commandments? Absolutely, you don't have to keep the Ten Commandments of the Old Testament Mosaic Law, but guess what? If you're a Christian, nine of those Ten Commandments are part of what? The New Covenant Law. Amen? All of them are repeated except one in the New Testament. How do you know they're part of the New Because they're in the New Testament. Every single one of them are repeated except one. The Sabbath. The Sabbath. We're not under the Sabbath. In fact, Paul says, don't let anybody judge you according to the Sabbath day. And you can come to the same conclusion if you go to, and I'm not going to take time to do it, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Paul talks about the, the law that was written on the tablets of stone there too. calls it a ministry of death. And talks about how we're no longer under the ministry of death. And he's talking about the stone tablets too. Now it's interesting. The Ten Commandments are the Old Covenant. And the Old Covenant was made obsolete as we read. Therefore the Ten Commandments have become obsolete on the basis of trying to keep them as the Old Testament law. There's nine brought in, which is part of what we call 
part what the New Testament calls the law of Christ, which we do have the law of Christ. Amen. Are you with me? This is, this is hopefully really helpful for you. Uh, Romans 10.4, listen to this. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness. Catch that? For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Amen? Amen. Listen to Ephesians 2.15. Paul says, uh, By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. So we're not under those ordinances of the old covenant anymore. You know, uh, some time ago, a true story is a man was fired and he took it to court and he got fired because he believed the color of his skin. And he went to the judge and he argued on the basis of the 1867 Canadian, this is in Canada, uh, 1867 Constitution. Well, he argued from that and the judge said, hey, you need to come back but you need to argue from the 1982 Constitution because they updated their Constitution and to revise it. And guess what? Use the 1982 Constitution and, you're, you know, and, it gives, and guess what? It, it uses pretty much the same verbiage as the 87 uh, of the uh, 1867 Constitution about uh, causing people, discriminating them, firing them because of the color of skin. And he said, you'll be successful. Well, what's happening there? He's saying, hey, that law, right, 1867, Constitution is not in effect anymore. You can't win the case based on that. We're under the 1982 Constitution, so you need to use that, and then you'll be effective in your case. Well, guess what? When people are saying you can't eat, you know, uh, shrimp, and you can't eat bacon, and you got to worship on Saturday, and, and, and you can't cut your hair, you know, you can't mix your... Well, they don't say that, right? They don't keep some of those laws, right? But when they're saying you can't keep this, can't do that, it's like, well, you're, do, you're not keeping other ones, but you want me to keep these, but guess what? I'm not, we're not under the law anymore. Just like here in the United States, if someone brought you a, a non-constitutional law that was here when the pilgrims were here, right? But it's not in the Constitution. It's not constitutional. And they try to get you to keep it and said, you have to keep it or I'm going to arrest you. And the police officer took you in and said, I'm arresting him, man, because, you know, he did whatever. Would that hold water in a court? No. Therefore, don't let anybody judge you according to the Old Testament law. Unless there, it's in the New Testament, someone says, hey, the New Testament says this and you're doing that. You need to be all ears at that point. Amen? Now, it, this actually happened as far as they started doing this in the New Testament church. They started bringing the old covenant laws into <laughs> the, are you with me so far? Amen. Okay, because these guys are wannabe teachers, it says, and they're making confident assertions trying to get people to keep the law, right? But they don't know what they're talking about. God wants us as Christians to be schooled in what his word actually says. And praise God, we have the entire New Testament, right? The whole New Testament wasn't even written at this point when this was going on. So we have a lot of light here from God's word, amen? But in Acts 15, you see the first church council. And the first church council was over this issue of certain people coming to the churches. They come to the church and say, hey, you know what? You love Jesus? Praise God. Isn't it awesome to be a Christian? Well, are you really a Christian, though? Well, I put my faith in Jesus. Heard the Apostle Paul preach. He told me to put faith in him as my Messiah, and he, he died for my sins. He rose again on the third day. Of course I'm a Christian. Ah, but look what Moses says. you got to be circumcised. Moses says you got to be circumcised. And you know what? Moses also says, he talks about these different feast days, different holidays you got to keep. Are you doing that? Well, I, I don't think I, well, you're not doing that. You're not right with God, man. You need to let us chop something off of you. Get circumcised, get right with God. No anesthesia back then. It's kind of a bummer, you know. 
And you know what? It's like they started doing this. And guess what? We read in Acts 15.1, Some men came down from Judea and began teaching the brethren, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Wow. They go into the church of Galatia. We know that the whole, the whole epistle of Galatians is written against these Judaizers. Okay? Uh, in Acts 15, verses 2 and 3, it goes on to say, Some men came down from Judea and began teaching the brethren, Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And when Paul and Barnabas had great dissension and debate with them, the brethren determined that Paul and Barnabas and some others of them should go up to Jerusalem to, to apostles and elders concerning this issue. And they did. And look at what they decided. Verse 10 and 11. Now therefore, why do you put... God to the test by placing upon the neck of the disciples a yoke which neither our fathers, their Jewish fathers, nor we have been able to bear. But we believe that we are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus in the same way as they also are. Amen, guys? So there's, God's given us everything to understand how to deal with this. He called it a yoke. Oh, no, you got to keep the Sabbath. Really? Jesus said, come to me, all of you who are weary and heavily burdened, and I will give you rest for your souls. Amen? Amen. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Right? Those who are under the law were heavily yoked, man. They had to keep all these laws and try to be right with God. And Jesus said, come to me. He's our rest. Amen? Amen. Hebrews chapter 4 uh, talks about how if, you've put your faith, if you're putting your faith in Jesus, you've entered into that rest. We no longer try to work to be right with God. The Sabbath day rest was a picture of the rest that we have in Jesus. And, but you know what a lot of Sabbath keepers say? No, the Sabbath law is going to be eternal. Day and night, forever and ever, you have to keep Saturday. And I say to them, no, did you read Revelation 21 and 22? It says there'll be no more night, amen? And the Father and the Son will be the eternal light, right? It'll be one long day because the Sabbath was a picture of the long day that we enter into right now through faith in Christ, Amen? Are you with me, brothers and sisters? Amen. Praise God. Go to Galatians and see how Paul wrote more specifically uh, about, you know, coming against what they were saying. And in chapter 1, verses 6 through 9, he says, I marvel that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ to another gospel, which is really not another gospel. But then he goes on to say in verses 7 through 9, if anyone comes to preach another gospel than that which they preach, what did he say? Let them be what? Accursed. So he's looking at those bringing the law in and saying you've got to keep the law of Moses as being under a curse. One translation says they're going to go to hell. You know, the Greek word is anathema. In chapter 3, verse 1, he says, who has bewitched you? Who has put a spell on you, Galatians? Because these are doctrines of demons. When people come and tell you you have to keep the Sabbath and you, you can't eat these foods, you've got to keep these foods, you've got to keep the law of Moses, okay? They're taking you away from putting your hope in Jesus and the sufficiency of his sacrifice on the cross for your salvation, saying it's not enough. And that's very, very serious. That's why Paul uses language, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. That's why in 1 Timothy 4.1, Paul's going to later on talk about these as doctrines of demons when they say you can't eat certain foods because we're not under the law. And that's why, you guys, it's spiritual. You're not just hearing what minutia that people are battering back and forth in the Hebrew Roots Movement, which is all over the internet right now. It's, it, it blows me away when it says these things were written you know, as examples for us that were written in the Old Testament, it blows me away because that's so true. And then when you get to the New Testament, it's like, well, all these things are written are alive today. 
you know? Are th- the same heresies just regurgitated today. And then Paul, what does he say, man? He says some heavy things. Look at chapter th- uh, 3, verse 10 through 13. He makes it real clear. For as many as are of the works of the law are under a what? Curse. If you're trying to keep the law, guess what you're under, it says. You're under a curse. You could say, someone say, hey, you know what? I'm keeping the law of Moses, man. I'm under the law. Say, oh, I'm sorry you're cursed. What do you mean? I'm cursed. Well, let's go to Galatians 3.10. For it is written, curse is everyone who, listen to this, curse is everyone who does not what? Abide by all things written in the book of the law to perform them. These same folks are not getting circumcised today. They're mixing their fabrics. They're cutting their hair all contrary to the law of Moses. Most of them, you know. And they're not keeping all 613 laws. Verse 11, now that, no one is, uh, now that no one is justified by the law before God is evident, for the righteous shall live by what? Faith. So the righteous shall live by faith. Are you living by faith? Then you're declared righteous because of what Jesus did for you on the cross. Amen. And the law, Paul says, is not given to the righteous, but given to the lawless. Are you with me still? Hallelujah. Verse 12, however, the law is not of faith, on the contrary, he who practices them shall live by them. Verse 13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, have become a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Look at verse 17, and thankfully he hung on the tree for us, Jesus did. What am I saying? What I'm saying is this, is uh, the law, which came 430 years later, that's after the covenant that was made with Abraham of faith which we've entered into through faith in Christ does not invalidate a covenant previously ratified by God talking about the Abrahamic covenant so as to nullify the promise meaning that that never went away the law became obsolete though the law of Moses look at verses 21 through 24 is the law contrary to the promises of God may it never be for if law had been given now this is important for if a law had been given which was able to impart life then righteousness would have indeed been based on law. In other words, if we, can be made, if we could be made righteous through the law, of course, God wouldn't have had to send his son then, right? And Jesus wouldn't have had to go through the brutal crucifixion he went through. Of course, God would have saved us that way. But the law shows us who God is in his holiness, and none of us can match up, amen? amen? Be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. We can't even get close. We try, but we can't, right? So guess what? The law shows us his holiness, his utter holiness, and our utter sinfulness and we become silent and cursed before him because it shows us that we're cursed by breaking his law if we're trying to keep the law verse 22 but the scriptures has what shut up everyone under sin there that word shut up is again right this way this context is shut up everybody under sin so that the promise by faith in jesus christ might be given to those who believe now this is very important look at verse 23 but before faith came We were kept in custody under the law. Okay, the Jews were kept in custody under the law. Being shut up to the faith, which was what? Later to be revealed. Verse 24. Therefore the law has become what? Our tutor to what? To lead us to who? Christ. Come on, brothers and sisters. Here's another purpose of the law. To show us our sin, right? To shut every mouth, amen? But also to lead us to who? The law is to lead us to Jesus. Amen? Because the law shows me I'm a sinner. Like Paul said, I tried to keep the law, Romans 7. The things I didn't want to do, I did. The things I, I, I wanted to do, I couldn't do. 
Who will save me from wretched man that I am? Who will save me from this body of death? He's crying out like, man, I'm doomed. The law kills me. It destroys me because he was lawless. And Paul said, thanks be to the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. The law led him to Jesus. The law leads people to Christ. Amen. Now check it out. Therefore, the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ so that we may be what? Justified or made right by faith. Look at verse 24. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a what? Come on. The law has become our what in verse 24? Our tutor, right? To lead us to Christ. The law is the tutor, right? And now we come to faith in Christ. Now look at verse 25. Now that faith has come, we are no longer under a what? Tutor. What is a tutor? The tutor is the law. Now that we have faith in Christ, we're no longer under the law. That was to show us our need for Jesus. Amen? Wow. So, so awesome. Now, it's interesting. Look at chapter 4, verses 9 and 10. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how is it that you turn your back again on the weak and worthless elemental things to which you desire to be enslaved all over again? How is it that you turn back again to the weak and worthless elemental things to which you desire again to be enslaved? They're going back to the law. Paul's concerned. What are you doing? He says, you observe, look at verse 10. You observe days and months and seasons and years. They're going back to the Jewish calendar. I fear for you, verse 11, I fear for you that perhaps I have labored over you in vain. Because if you're going back to that, then my labor over you has been in vain. What are you doing? Don't go back to the law. Don't listen to the Hebrew roots, guys. Don't listen to Seventh-day Adventists saying you got to keep the Sabbath. Don't listen to 119 ministries. Amen? These are lies. Who has bewitched you? Chapter 5, verse 1. Look how serious Paul makes this. It was for what? Freedom that Christ has set us free. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Are you trusting Jesus? You've been set free from that yoke of bondage. Okay? Whether you're Jewish and you're under the law of Moses or you were trying to keep the moral law as a means of salvation. Therefore, what does he say? Therefore, keep standing. It's a present tense imperative. Continue to keep on standing. And do not be subject again to what? There it is again. There's that word, a yoke of slavery. Watch out for the Judaizers, right? I started calling them in my, when I was typing. I started writing yokers. Let's call them yokers. I don't know if they've been called yokers before. I don't think that'll catch on, but I'm calling them yokers now too. Watch out for the yokers, man, that want to yoke you to the law of Moses. Verse 2, behold, I, Paul, say to you that if you receive circumcision, check this out. I say to you that if you receive circumcision, and you try to go back to the law of Moses, and circumcision was a symbol of your keep the law of Moses, Christ will be of what? doesn't say of some or little. It says of no benefit to you. This is serious. Verse 3, and I testify again to every man who receives circumcision, every man, that he is under obligation to keep what? The whole law. Animal sacrifice is impossible now, but you're doomed then. Not, 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 not you know, cutting your hair, not mixing fabrics, all these other, you know, laws. I keep bringing them up because those are the ones I brought up earlier. Look what he says in verse 4. You have been what? <whistles> you have been cut off or severed from Christ. Who? You who are seeking to be justified by a law, you have what? Fallen from grace. The Bible does say you can fall from grace. The Bible says those who are standing free in Christ, right, need to continue to stand because they can fall from Christ and they can be cut off from Christ. It says it. I try to, I don't water anything down. 
And if your theology causes you to water things down, you've got to change your theology to match the Scripture. Amen? This is very, very s- serious stuff. Amen? It's serious, guys. He's concerned about their salvation. And he t- goes on to talk about how, uh, you know, faith works through love. So true faith has love and it has works. But it's based on faith, not on mosaic law keeping. Amen? In fact, look at chapter... In fact, he goes on, we won't look at it, but in chapter 5, but I'm going to look at chapter 6 in a second. But chapter 5, verse 22 through 24, he says the fruit of the Spirit is love and peace and joy and long-suffering and gentleness and goodness and faithfulness and meekness and self-control. Amen? So those of us who are trusting Jesus, we have the fruit of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We're made righteous by the blood of Christ. Amen? We're positionally righteous before Christ, but we're practically righteous because the Lord makes us righteous by the power of the Holy Spirit who lives in us as we seek Him by faith. And we what? Walk in love from a pure heart good conscience, and a sincere faith. Back to 1, 5 in Timothy, right? Are you with me? Look at chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. Brethren, even if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself, so that you too will not be tempted. Paul still is concerned about sin because we're not under the law of Moses, but we're under another law. Look what he says in verse 2. Bear one another's what? Burdens, and thereby what? Fulfill what? The law of Christ. We're called to love one another, right? Not rebel against God and fulfill the law of Christ. Now, we don't fulfill the law of Christ as a means to attain salvation, right? It's the fruit of a life of love and thanksgiving because of what Jesus has done for us. Amen? We love him because he first loved us. If you love me, Jesus says, you'll obey my commandments. When we look at the sacrifice he's made, we have motivation that they never had under the law. And we have the power of the Holy Spirit. And because he kept the law perfectly and our sins are paid for, he can come and live in us now. And we can now keep the law of Christ, right? Instead of the law of Moses because we're empowered to keep it. Never perfectly until Jesus comes though. But we grow and we grow in grace. Amen? So we have the law of Christ. Quickly, go to 1 Corinthians 9, please. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 19 through 21. And look what Paul says here because he references the law of Christ again. Follow his argument here because it's really, really powerful. These verses right here are really decisive as to what law we're under and we're not under. Paul is a Jew and he's saying he, he, he becomes all things to all people that he might win some. So when he goes around certain people, he doesn't offend them with his lifestyle. He adapts his lifestyle to witness to them. And he says in 1 Corinthians 6, I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians 9, 19, for though I am free from all men, I have made myself a slave to all so that I may win more. To the Jews, that's the Jews who are under the law of Moses, right? To the Jews, I became what? As a Jew, so that I might win Jews. To those who are under the law, that's the Jews who are under the law, he became what? He goes on to say, as what? As under the law, though what? Though what? Though not being myself under the law. So when I'm around Jews, I act as though I'm under the law to win them to Christ, although I know I'm not what? He's not under the law of Moses. Are you with me? The next part, next he goes on to say, so that I may win those who are under the law. Now watch verse 21. To those who are without law, the Gentiles are without the law of Moses. To those who are without law, he becomes as what? As without law. I mean, I don't keep the law of Moses when I'm around them. Then he says, I, I become as without law. Then look what he says here. Though not what? Though not being without what? The law of God, but under the what? Under the what? Law of Christ, that I might win those who are without law. So guess what? When I'm on the Jews, 
I act as though I'm keeping the Jewish law because I'm trying to win them to Christ, although I'm not under the law, he says. Ah, when I'm with those that aren't Jews, those who are without the law of Moses, I don't observe the law of the Jews. As someone say, well, then you're an antinomian. He goes, no, I'm still under the law, but I'm under the what? The law of Christ. You catch that? It's crystal clear there. I think that's powerful. What's the law of Christ? Jesus is teaching, which is fulfilled in his commandments to love God with your whole heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor yourself. And you say, well, well that's kind of like the, 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 the Mosaic law. Well, guess what? All the morals of the Mosaic law that were intended to be eternal, thou shalt not lie, right? Thou shalt not murder, right? They're eternal. They don't change. But we keep them not because they're part of the law of Moses. We keep them because they're part of what? Law of Christ. Christ changed things, though. In Mark 7, he said, uh, you know, he taught that, it says in Mark 7, the Holy Spirit's commentary is Jesus made all foods clean. You can eat whatever you want now. That contradicts the Hebrew roots movement. In Matthew 5.33, Jesus said again, you have heard it said to the, uh, 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 by the ancients, do not break your oath, fulfill your vows to the Lord. Right? That's true. Deuteronomy, under the Mosaic law, it says this, fear the Lord your God, serve him only, and take your oaths, swear in his name. You're commanded to swear in his name in the law of Moses. Listen to what Jesus said, Matthew 5.33. Again, I say you have heard it said uh, to the ancients, do not break uh, your oath, but fulfill your vows to the Lord. But I tell you not to swear at all, either by heaven, <laughs> or for it's God's throne, or by earth, for it is footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Wow. That's heavy, huh? What's he saying? This is what the law of Moses says. This is what I say. Right? Because he is, Moses said God would rise up a prophet after him, right? And he's greater than Moses, amen? He brings in the new covenant. He paid for our sins. Where the law of Christ, the law of Moses was temporary, amen? The law of Moses was temporary. Well, what's the purpose of the law then? We talked about the purpose of the law. But what about when Jesus says not to break, what, well, in Matthew 5, 17 and 18. You could go there if you want. I'll read it to you. You can go there. Do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. 9-11 or 19, <laughs> uh, uh, man, I don't even want to remember the name of the ministry, you know. <laughs> but uh, 119 Ministries, Hebrew Roots Ministries, Seventh-day Adventists, they'll use this and say, look, Jesus says, don't think that I've come to abolish the law and the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill, Right? Uh, for I truly say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass away from the law until it is, all is accomplished. Oh, look! What do you say to that, Joe? Jesus said he didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. I say, amen. And, uh, and not, heaven and earth won't pass away until what? All is accomplished. Look, then they'll say, look, you, not one jot or tittle. You got to, well, wait a minute. What about the haircut you got? Not one jot or tittle? Oh, wait a minute, man. That doesn't feel like just straight cotton, bro. You know, uh, so first of all, they struggle with that, right? But check this out. Let me give you five ways that Jesus is the fulfillment of the law. How did Jesus fulfill the law of Moses? Okay, there's five ways. First, the word fulfill there is uh, plerao, plerao, the word fulfill. In, here in Matthew 5, guess how that word's used throughout Matthew and other, and other gospels is too? Of fulfilled prophecy. It's used in Matthew chapter 1 of when the virgin conceived, it fulfilled the plerao, this prophecy of Isaiah. So in one way, he fulfills prophecy. He fulfills prophecy that he be born of a virgin. Okay? He fulfills the prophetic pictures and typologies in the law. 
The animal sacrifices were part of the law. They pictured who? They were pointing to who? Jesus. Whether it was the Passover or, or the, uh, the Passover lamb, right? He's the Passover lamb. Christ, our Passover, is crucified for us. 1 Corinthians 5, 7. Whether it was the law of first fruits, right? Which was done on the day after the Sabbath, which was Sunday morning. They'd wave the first fruits, which is a picture of Christ and his resurrection, amen. Whether it was the resurrection dove, right? right? Uh, the serpent, as the serpent was lifted up in the wilderness. That's in the law of the book of Numbers. So shall the Son of Man be lifted up, Jesus said, amen. On and on and on. The Sabbath, he is our rest. So he fulfills the prophetic uh, prophecies of himself through just straight out forward straightforward prophecies and through uh, typologies and so forth so that's the first first way uh, he fulfills the law a second way that he fulfills the law is that we're 613 or so commandments right the commandments were thou shalt thou shalt thou shalt well guess what the bible says jesus was what without without what sin amen the bible says over and over again that jesus knew no sin uh, he fulfilled the commandments. In fact, uh, he knew no sin, 2 Corinthians 5.21. In every respect he has been, was tempted as we are yet without sin, Hebrews 4.15. Holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, Hebrews 7.26. So he fulfilled the law prophetically, and he fulfilled the law by living a perfect life. Amen? He obeyed it perfectly. Thirdly, Jesus fulfilled the law of Moses uh, because he became uh, the fulfillment that the tutor pointed to. Amen? It was a tutor that would lead us to the Messiah. And as Messiah, he came and fulfilled that role. Amen. Uh, Galatians 4, 4 and 5 says, But when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who were under the law, that he might receive, uh, that he might receive the adoption as sons. So he was there taking all those the tutor brought to him, the law. Number four, the law didn't just give us commandments that you had to obey, and Jesus obeyed them perfectly. He was perfect, sinless. Well, guess what? also came with penalties. When you broke those laws, there were penalties, right? All kinds of penalties, the death penalty. Guess what? Did Jesus fulfill that law? Yeah, he died on the cross, amen, for our sins, amen, not for his own. He had no sins. Father, he said, to tell us I paid in full. He fulfilled that law, amen? amen. And number five, he fulfills a law in that the moral law, which God always intended, is found in him and through loving him and following him because it's all about him and the law and the prophets, he said, pointed to him in Luke chapter 24. And then there is the mountain of transfiguration, man. They're up there at the mountain of transfiguration and it's a just, wow, look at that, man. Moses and Elijah and Jesus. And Peter's like, wow, you know, let us make, you know, three tabernacles to you guys, you know, to remember you. And, and God tells, basically says, Peter, you know, this is my son, listen to him, okay? There's Moses. Moses represents what? The law, right? Then there's Elijah. He represents what? The prophets, right? They're both pointing to Jesus, talking about the death that he's going to accomplish, it says. Interesting. Then when they look back up there, guess what? Moses and Elijah are gone. Just Jesus, man. Right? Because they point to Jesus, amen? But the law has been, the law of Moses has been made obsolete. It's fulfilled in Christ. He's our all in all, amen? So it's through a relationship with Jesus, knowing him through faith, spending time in his presence, walking with him, putting your trust in him, that we get to, we get to, uh, Walk in the joy of the Lord. Amen. So replace the law. Let me give you quickly uh, a few points of application. I want you to go with me now back to 1 Timothy 1. And this will be pretty quick. 1 Timothy uh, chapter 1. And when you get there, go ahead and look at where we left off. 1 Timothy chapter 1. It says it was given for all these wicked people, right? Verses 9 and 10. Then in verse 11 it says, 
Uh, at the end of verse 10, it says, for kidnappers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound teaching, according to the glorious gospel of our blessed God and which I have been entrusted. He calls the gospel glorious. Now, he calls the law of Moses a ministry of death in 2 Corinthians 3, right? He calls the gospel glorious. Know the difference? The, the law, you'd just be doomed, right? Jesus' gospel, this good news, is glorious, you guys. And he says it's been entrusted to him. Amen. So I think it's very, very important to, to leave here uh, knowing some things. So this is not in vain, okay? One, don't just to seek to be a teacher. If you don't know God's word, don't just try to, and don't come up with new things that you're not sure about and everything, amen? Pray and seek the Lord and, and cry out to God, excuse me, Lord, but get to know his word, amen? So if you're called to be a teacher so you can be an effective teacher, amen? Number two, don't fall into legalism, Okay? I don't have to elaborate on that. We've just seen the ugliness of it. It damns souls, amen. Number three, stay away from cheap grace. Don't say, oh yeah, great. Pastor Joe taught out, we're not under the Ten Commandments. We're not under the law anymore. Praise the Lord, I can do what I want. No, you must have left partway through the message. Okay, we're under the law of Christ, amen. Praise God, we have his word, amen. Number four, remember it's about a relationship with Jesus, amen. Moses and Elijah disappeared, man. Your relationship isn't with Moses, okay. It's not with Elijah, it's with Jesus, and we should be pressing on to know him through faith, talking to him in prayer, seeking our Father, amen. Number five, since Jesus died for us, Paul says in Colossians that he canceled out the debt, the certificate of debt that was written against us, it condemned us, but he canceled out when it was nailed to the cross. Then it goes on to say, therefore, Paul goes on to say, therefore, don't let anybody judge you according to a Sabbath day, holy days. Since Jesus died for your sins and paid for your sins and fulfilled the law, don't let people condemn you if you're not keeping the Sabbath or you're eating a piece of shrimp. Amen? Number six, remember the goal of his instruction. Remember, don't get into some into genealogies and mythologies and all the weird conspiracy type, type stuff that's just off the wall, that's not really beneficial, that's not biblical. Yeah, there's conspiracies that are, you can watch for that the Bible talks about, but people are getting all kinds of weird stuff and, also, and they're not witnessing, they're not excited about Jesus anymore and it's really really sad keep a sincere faith amen love from a pure heart a good conscience amen number seven give people the good person test when you're witnessing to people the law is made for who the unrighteous the lawless right let them know hey have you kept his commandments right have you ever lied have you ever committed adultery I'm not saying you have to witness this way i do it once in a while i witness to, uh, to people in different ways but sometimes i'll just give them the good person test if they look haughty oh, i'm a good person okay wait did you ever do this? Did you ever put something before God? How do they say no to that, right? And then you lead them to Jesus, amen? Okay. Number eight, realize how glorious the gospel is. We just talked about that, right? Just realize what you have in Jesus, the glorious gospel of, our, of the blessed God. Wow. It's because of the gospel that I can call God and you can call God your father, amen? It's because of the gospel that Jesus is your Lord and Savior, Amen? It's because of the gospel that the Holy Spirit lives in us, amen, and comforts us and counsels us and encourages us, amen. It's because of the gospel that you have your name written in heaven or going to heaven. Be excited about the gospel, amen. Get excited about it, man, amen. Nine, I'm just, don't worry, I don't have 15 or 20, I have 10. Uh, guard the gospel, okay, because Paul says at the end of verse 11 there, the gospel by which, the glorious gospel with which he had been, what, entrusted. We have been entrusted with something incredibly valuable, Paul said in Romans 1.16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is the power of God of salvation, right, to the Jew first and also the Greek. We, we, you and I, we have this beautiful gospel of Jesus Christ, amen? 
that we've been entrusted with it. Amen? Now, guess what? Guard it. Paul talks about guarding it. That's another verse later on in Timothy, which we won't talk about today, but he's basically talking about being entrusted with it. And that means when you're talking to Mormons and JWs and Catholics and they have different Gospels, you don't say, oh, well, they love God too. Oh, they're, they're, the Mormons are really nice. No, 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 a thousand times. No, it doesn't matter how nice people are. Satan comes to angel of light, amen? You can never veer from the Gospel. And number 10, okay? Live a life of love and thanksgiving. We love him because he first loved us. If we love him, Jesus said, we'll obey his commandments. I don't struggle. I'm going to just be honest with you. I'm not saying I'm sinless. I'm far from it, okay? But I don't struggle with cheating on my wife. I don't struggle with going out and getting drunk. I don't struggle with being mean to people. I don't, you know why? Because when I see what Jesus teaches me in the law of Christ, not only does his spirit transform us, but I don't even want to do any of those things. Because he's so good. He suffered so much for me. How could I betray him? And listen to what it says in 1 John 5, 3. For this is the love of God. This is the love of God. If you love God, that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. It's not a burden for me not to get drunk. It's not a burden for me to say, man, I think I want to go get high. It's not a burden to obey him because I love him. But I love him because I see who he is and what he's done for me. Amen? So look to the cross. Look to Jesus. Live a life of love and thanksgiving. And guess what? Bear one another's burdens and fulfill the law of Christ. Amen? Just walk around and loving people, man, and praying, God, help me love people. And yes, guess what? We all fall short of God's glory, myself included. And you know what? Because the cross and who Jesus is, that makes us feel even sadder because of anything way we fall short. So we should be quick to confess our sins. Amen? Keep short accounts with God, right? Say, God, forgive me. Cleanse me by the blood of Christ so I can walk with you and so I can preach this glorious gospel, and so I can shine the light of Christ to this lost world, amen, and represent him the way you would have us represent him, amen. Praise God. Can we all please stand?